Guy Carumba, October 16th through 22nd, 2022. Jupiter and Saturn shine like jewels in the southeast for Northern Hemisphere viewers as evening darkness sets in. From the Southern Hemisphere, the two planets are in the east at dusk. Saturn has been retrograde and is stationary now. Direct motion resumes next week. That means it's going to start moving eastward against those stars again. Antares is the dusk jewel in the west for the Southern Hemisphere. It's in the southwest for Northern observers. Uranus is an early evening riser in a space between Aries, Cetus, and Taurus. Mars rises mid-evening over Orion's head, and Mercury rises close to dawn in Virgo, moving sunward. It passes by Parima on Monday and Tuesday mornings. The planet is moving toward the middle of the constellation, which is straddling the sun. Virgo's bright star Spica is, in fact, in conjunction with the sun early this week. Venus is heading toward superior conjunction on the weekend of the 22nd to 23rd, so you won't see the planet this week. The moon is just before last quarter, Sunday night to Monday morning in Gemini. Last quarter is the next night, with the moon a little south of Pollux. The moon moves into Cancer on Tuesday. It passes close to Acellus Borealis, the northern donkey, during the 20-hour UT. Thursday morning, the moon's a waning crescent passing into Leo's head. It passes in front of the star Al-Jabha. A thinner crescent is beneath the lion on Friday. The moon is at northern Lunastus Sunday at 27.5 degrees north declination. Lunar apogee is Monday at 404,200 kilometers distant. Get ready for a partial solar eclipse on Tuesday next week if you're in Europe, Northeast Africa, or Western Asia close to half the sun's disk will be covered by the moon. A partial solar eclipse isn't one that you can safely watch with the naked eye. So, build a pinhole viewer, have solar eclipse viewing glasses, have a filter made for solar viewing on your telescope, or rely on an internet feed to safely watch the event. Looking at the sun during a partial eclipse can be very bad for your eyesight. It's not so bright, so you don't feel any pain when you look, but there are still enough ultraviolet and infrared rays to damage your eyes permanently, so don't look at it naked eye. And I'll emphasize that any filter you look through must be made specifically for solar viewing. There's no guarantee that stained glass or an old film negative will protect you, no matter what you've read in any old books. Also, don't stack sunglasses. They're usually advertised as blocking the UV rays, but they don't block infrared. Infrared pictures of people wearing sunglasses make them look like they're just wearing ordinary glasses. If you want to find your local eclipse times, you can look at websites such as timeanddate.com. Uranus will be at opposition on November 9th. The moon will be full on the 8th, so they'll be close together in the sky. That makes it easy to figure out what part of the sky the planet's in, so you know pretty much where to look. Unfortunately, the full moon that close to the planet makes it really hard, if not impossible, to see the planet. Uranus is slightly brighter than 6th magnitude, the widely accepted limit of human vision in a dark night sky. When Uranus is up all night next month, it'll be a little less than 18.7 astronomical units from us. That's about 2,800 million kilometers or 1,700 million miles. 
It looks like a faint blue-green dot in a telescope. Even though it can be seen with the naked eye, there are no certain records of anyone seeing it before the telescope existed. Some people believe the Greek astronomer Hipparchus saw it in 128 BC, though. The first definite precovery sighting, as they're called, was in 1690, when John Flamsteed cataloged it as a star. He labeled it 34 Tauri. William Herschel is credited for identifying Uranus as something other than a star. When he first saw it in 1781, it moved a little between observations four nights apart. Herschel first thought it was a comet. Astronomers were discovering faint comets somewhat regularly already. As more astronomers studied how the object moved, though, they concluded it's in a slightly elliptical orbit like a planet and not a highly elliptical one like a comet. Well, next they had to figure out what to name it. Johann Ehlert Bode is the one who calculated the orbit and suggested the name Uranus. The German-born Herschel tried to name the newly discovered planet Georgium Citus, the Georgian star in Latin, in honor of England's King George. The English king had given the German Herschel his astronomer's job, after all. But as you might imagine, most people who weren't British didn't feel obliged to show reverence for someone else's king— Besides, monarchies of the kind Europe was known for were losing their luster, so Georgium Citus didn't catch on elsewhere, and the British finally went with Uranus about 1850. The name Uranus is from the Greek Uranos, one of their gods. The other already known planets were named after Greek gods, so it made sense to keep going with that tradition. Of course, we English speakers are sometimes amused by the planet's name. Do you still call it Uranus? Are you guilty of telling cheeky jokes about it? Since the 1990s, a lot of people have taken to saying Uranus. That sounds a lot more polite until you realize the word urine is in there. If we say it the Greek way, it would sound more like Uranos. I'm sure someone could make a joke out of it eventually. But jokes aside, Uranus, or whatever you want to call it, is considered one of the gas giant planets. Some scientists think ice giant is a better term because it's so cold there, the compounds we think of as gases at Earth temperatures are frozen. Get a star chart that shows you where Uranus is this week and look through a telescope or binoculars and try to find it. Sky Carumba.